Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast, the show where two former roommates sit in person and talk about some of their childhood favorites. Today we're doing a childhood movie swap of two of our classic favorite movies, mine being Small Soldiers and of course Cody's being Cool Runnings. So really excited to get into that. Cody, it's great to see you in person, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. I don't think we've done an in-person podcast. How long has it been? Probably three years maybe yeah i mean like around christmas we did a little bit of that recording together but that was like 10 minutes of an intro we haven't done a full episode and and this weekend we've we've kind of recorded two or we've recorded one already and then we've got this coming at you so i'm really excited that we just have the chance to finally get back in person it's been been since season one yeah it's been a really long time and uh, i'm also excited to be back i think we're doing an interesting topic today as well i feel like we've referenced these movies a lot throughout cap so if you know some cap lore, you've probably heard these flicks. 100%. This is definitely cap lore. It's deep in there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a little bit of a movie swap, too, because I don't think either one of us really just wanted to kind of watch the other's movie on its own. Right. So it's kind of a little... would be thing. unfair to do a single episode about each, you know? Let's, yeah. let's just knock them both out in, in, in one single episode today. I like that. Yeah. And uh, I think my movie is much better than <laughs> too, but... I think it should be a really fun episode. A lot of nostalgic goggles, probably. Exactly. We we took two of two of the favorites that you had to see when you were a little kid that I think probably truly appreciate for what they are. Let's start with your pick, Cody. Okay. Cool Runnings. Obviously, like we said, we've talked about these movies a lot on the podcast, but why specifically in doing this movie swap was this the movie one? I feel like it's going to be maybe a similar answer uh, to you, but I mean, it's one of the movies I just saw a ton when I was growing up. My mom was like really overprotective as a parent and uh she wouldn't really let me watch anything that wasn't you know a super g rating i don't know like this movie does have some weird stuff <laughs> so i'm surprised it passed her test but it's a disney film at the end of the day yeah, i think i think when you get that disney logo on the front your mom was probably thinking it's all good she she saw the cover of the movie it's like this will probably do the job but yeah that's the main reasoning obviously i think it's pretty underrated and it's something i've just seen over and over and over but i'll get to more of my initial thoughts but I think it's it's kind of like an underlooked uh, kind of live action Disney film. It kind of has the same vibes a little bit as like a miracle, but everybody talks about miracle and nobody really talks about crew runnings. So that's pretty sad, I think. The Kurt Russell treatment, maybe. Uh, I mean, I think there's some real life reasons for that as well. Like it, the, the impact of the actual story. And obviously, like miracle as Americans, we're going to be like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's us. You know, we, we did it. <laughs> Yeah, so the, I mean, I think that just shows the U.S. doesn't really care about anybody but themselves, yeah. which is sad because it's like a similar story, I guess, tonally in some parts, but a lot more like comedically fun. There was a lot of fun stuff in Miracle, I guess, but no Kurt Russell, just John, John Candy. Have you ever seen this movie before? I had never seen it. This, okay. this was the first time watch uh, this past weekend. As a warm up to get things started about Cool Runnings, Cody's going to say one thing that he thinks is bad about the movie and then i'm going to say one thing that's good to just start us off on a positive note here. yeah so, cody what's the bad thing i think for me it's centered more like around the dialogue in a sense i don't think this is like a, a perfectly written movie it's not like a a danny boyle or aaron mm. sorkin kind of production out here it's, it's a kid's movie so i think there's a lot of hit and miss comedy for me mm. and some of it like on a rewatch these days i was like eh, that, that's kind of a miss on my head but when i was a kid i was probably laughing a lot yeah so yeah. I think, like, from an adult perspective, it's just got the Disney, Disneyfication, I think, a little bit. And it's not as rewatchable as probably as I think it was uh, back in the day. So I probably have seen this movie, like, probably 25 times, somewhere around that range. So I have seen a lot. 
But I think I'm, I'm going to space out my rewatches a little bit more <laughs> now because it, it's a little bit hit or miss. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the dialogue was is a little stilted at points, and they're trying to just like get to point A to point B, and, and yeah, you, you got to feel bad for some of these actors. It's like, man, you really got to say that. Right now. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure. Um, yeah. For me, the positive thing that I'll, I'll point out is the uh-huh. Hans Zimmer score. I mean, shout yeah. out, shout out to the guy, yeah, yeah. Um, throwing in a little bit of the Jamaican flair in a couple of the scenes, and just I mean, the way it plays out, in, especially in the races and the training montages. Um, Hans Zimmer is one of the greats. He's been he's been doing it for decades, literally, and uh, this is a great early example of that. Um, and, and it really adds to that uplifting nature that we find at the end. Hundred percent. I will definitely bring that up a little bit as well, Cody. Just for the people, <laughs> break down what is cool runners. Yeah, and um, when this was presented uh, to me, I went pretty in depth here. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, I've seen cool runners, and this is all off the top, pretty much here, but. Basically, obviously, the main premise is you got these three Jamaican sprinters, and the main one, his dad was like a, an Olympic gold medalist, Reese, and he, they're all trying out for the Olympic sprinting team, which is pretty common in, in Jamaica, I would say. Usain Bolt, one of the most famous sprinters of all time. They, they usually dominate the Olympics, and they have for, for a long time. But yeah, so basically, they're in tryouts, and then this one guy, this rich boy, trips Reese and this other bald guy, and they lose the race, basically. And... They go to the, the guy and complain. He's like, hey, wait four years. They're like, we don't really want to do that. So <laughs> That is always the tough thing about the Olympics. Ah, see you in four years. <laughs> yeah, that is tough. Also, it's pretty unfair. But regardless, they want to start a bobsled team because, you know, that's that's a lot less time. And, and they can do that more quickly, basically. Um, they find John Candy, who has pretty much been disrespected in this sport. Nobody really likes him because he cheated. But he's the only one who knows anything about bobsledding. So he becomes their coach. They also throw in Doris's best friend, Sanka, who's a pushcart champion driver. Uh, great character, probably my favorite. Yeah, that's kind of just classic hijinks from there. They go to the Olympics in Calgary, like you said, fish out of water. And uh, everybody pretty much hates them. But that's the basic premise. I think it's pretty simple. But a lot of fun. Going from the island to kind of the ice town is, is a cool location change as well. I think it's one of those things that, like, when it's happening, everyone's like, man, this would make a great movie. Like, yeah. Can you imagine Jamaican bobsledder? <laughs> Um, and then, you know, the real life events maybe don't play out as cinematically. So you have to change some things in the script, but I'm sure we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that. A little bit. Not, not probably the most loyal biopic of all time, but a fun movie regardless. Um, I want to kind of talk about the cast a little bit. So the director, I guess we'll start with first of all, John Turlpat. You know what he's directed, man? Yeah, I believe uh, pretty much the only other thing he's directed is the two National Treasure movies. Exactly. So, so we, uh, we've actually talked about a John Turtle uh, production yeah. previously on the podcast already. Yeah, and I didn't know that. When I was going through the whole letterbox page, I was looking around at what else he had done. And this guy might be my new favorite director, honestly. So shout out, John. I mean, Turtle a couple Lab. of your favorites for sure. Yeah. And then when you listen to our next episode, you'll understand why this is important. But Cody, he also directed The Meg, the very first one. So maybe... When you go and finally watch the Meg, you'll really be into that. <laughs> That's actually wild, too. I did not know that. It's kind of all over the place. Rush Hour as well. Rush Hour TV show. Oh, TV show. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. But uh, so The big thing, the thing that kind of ruined his career and honestly ruined Nick Cage's career to a certain extent in that mid-2000s when he was like box office machine for Disney. They did the two National Treasures, $100 million, whatever. Him and Turtle Tab make the Sorcerer's Apprentice with, uh, what's that guy's name? The... Uh, Jay Burchell. Jay Burchell and Nick Cage make the Sorcerer's <laughs> Apprentice together, and it is an absolute flop. Melina's there, Alfred. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the reason 
uh, National Treasure 3 never happened. So to a certain extent, we can we can blame Turtle Tap for that as well. That we never got National Treasure 3. Instead, we got a step of the TV show. It's a quick uh, quick falling point, I think, going from National Treasure franchise to uh, just the absolute bomb, like you said, the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice was. So definitely tough career move. I think he had a, a promising young start and maybe just ran out of chances with Disney. So that's pretty sad, but I'd like to see more from Johnny Boy. Obviously, he went the Meg route, which, you know, we saw the Meg too, and it was okay. But I, I don't, he probably didn't have too big a hand in that. But might have to check it out just because I, I like this uh, director. But I did think that was pretty funny. Like, this guy probably is my favorite, like, childhood director of all time. <laughs> so shout out to him. Johnny, if you're listening, come on. What else are you doing in life? You know, I saw a tweet last night that was kind of talking about how, like, the, the mid-level director that could come in and just do like a shitty blockbuster but like kind of do it pretty well is kind of disappeared because so often now studios go well, let's grab the, the next up and coming indie director and force them to make whatever franchise feature we're doing so it's like this this person that can create the competent big blockbuster like your make twos or your good fast and furious movies don't really exist in the same way uh as we saw in like the 90s and early 2000s with guys like turtle top that is true and i feel like action directors today like you said, they kind of get pulled from different places. They don't kind of come from that genre. Look at like James Wan and all the fast directors. Like they all started out in like Lynn. horror and stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah. Too. yeah, so I don't know. I agree. I wish there were more kind of just, you know, pure action directors these days. You could get that a little bit with something like. I mean, we just watched Aliens and it's like James Cameron cooking in the 80s, making some action yeah. movies. And you can see like the course of his career from I there. guess you have like a Chris from McQuarrie and. True. Some people like that, but like the big kind of, you know, uh, franchises, even the MCU, like they pull like Chloe Zhao and uh, all these art house directors. So I think there's just a, a lost art in the action franchise a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely true. Um, let's let's talk about the rest of the cast. John Candy. This is really like, I would say maybe his like last great performance that he gives. I don't have a, a really great connection to John Candy because to me, like 80s and 90s comedies are not what I always go to. Did you have, you have a favorite performance? Spaceballs, Planes, Trains, anything like that that sticks out for you for Candy? I mean, yeah, I'm a big Spaceballs fan as well. Um, he's a great role in that, playing uh, Barf, who's the the riff on Chewbacca. So I think uh, uh, Bartholomew actually is his full name. <laughs> but uh, I think he's really good in that, but that's obviously more of an ensemble role. This is probably for me his favorite. I think he does like carry this movie really in a sense. There are a lot of other actors, but they're not experienced. They don't have the, the comedic timing that John Candy has or, or can kind of perform to, to carry this movie to that level. So I think by far he the best. It's hard to say that he maybe is the best performer in a lot of other movies. So mad respect to that. But yeah, I like him in like Uncle Buck and uh, in Spaceballs. I'm not crazy deep in his IMDb, if I'm being honest, but from what I've seen from him, this, this is by far, I think, his best performance. Yeah, I, I would, I think I would agree with that for me. Um, and then the rest of, you know, your, our, our main guys, you know, Darius Jr., Sanka, Yule, um, all played by Dougie Doug for Sanka. Leon plays Darius. Raleigh D. Lewis plays Jr. And Malik Yoba plays Yul Brenner. I really, if you go to all these guys, I mean, this is like the thing they're known for. Do you do you know these guys from from anything else? Have you ever really come across them anywhere else? Um, not really. I looked into kind of what happened career wise, after wise. It was somewhat interesting. Leon, so the the main guy, pretty much plays Darius. He he's kind of just in a bunch of other really small stuff too. He wasn't a Tupac movie. Okay. A Tupac basketball movie. So above I guess, the rim. Yeah, above yeah. the rim. So that's kind of relevant. 
Dougie Doug, I think was... He played Little Richard in the Little Richard TV movie. I, mean, I think that's probably... Oh, wow. Pretty fucking huge. That's pretty good, I guess. <laughs> yeah, shout out to that as well. And then Dougie Doug, I think he was probably one of the bigger stars in this movie of with some marketing and stuff. But he kind of fell out of Hollywood. It, it looked like he had some drug issues, which is obviously tough. He was in uh, Shark Tale, though. So, got to work with Scorsese directly. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> so, I think that's pretty cool for him. And then the other guy's uh, Junior... I guess he was in Narcos, Mexico. But one episode. It's weird. It's his, his, his number yeah. one listed thing, but he was only in one episode. <laughs> What's well, tough? Maybe he kicked the bucket in there pretty quick, but hopefully it was a memorable one. But yeah, he's in a ton of other like small stuff I haven't seen either. And then Yul Brenner, who was one of my favorite characters, and I thought one of the more decent performances just because he has more th- more to do here. He pretty much hasn't done anything after this. He's he's turned more towards like the producer-writer role, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Which is respectable. A lot of cop stuff, it seems like. When he does, it's like, I see like New York Undercover, yeah. East New York, The Equalizer. It makes sense. I mean, Copland, Daddy Don't Go. He's an intimidating guy. So I think that's a good kind of typecast role for him. Is probably like an uber serious, just shit talking cop. But I think his work behind the camera is actually pretty good too. And I feel like his, his line delivery uh, in this film kind of shows that too. Because he's a little bit over the top, but he's like crazy committed. Other than John Candy, I would honestly probably say Yul Brenner is, mm. is my favorite character. Second favorite performance. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I like that take. Let me get into a little bit of my initial thoughts on, on seeing yeah, this movie for the first time. So I think the cast is probably the highlight for me. And just the fact that the chemistry that they have together in every scene, whether it's Candy interacting with the athletes or even like the scenes when the athletes have to butt heads a little bit. I think that stuff is like really successful and building it around those relationships is what makes this movie work and it what's it's what makes like the big emotional payoff at the end be successful because you built up these strong relationships and you want to see these characters succeed at the very end it is a 90s disney movie it's got a little bit of that like cheesy energy to it to a certain degree and it's a sports movie so you know the beats whether they win or lose or not you know how it's going to feel at the end like you know what you're getting into when you watch the movie which I think is a good thing in, in a movie that can kind of hit those notes and really still be successful even when you're expecting it. It is pretty good. I enjoyed this movie overall, is what I would say. Well, I'll <laughs> definitely take that. But I do agree. I think it's just, it's kind of got that Disney kind of like childlike quality to it. Like all these guys are pretty much grown men. The entire movie, they are acting like children. Right. They're, so they're just, sitting there clinking their Coke bottles yeah. together to celebrate. <laughs> they're saying mother to the messenger. Motherfucker. <laughs> to the man in the orange shoes. Um, yeah, I think, obviously it's a Disney movie. I think that's why, in a sense, that I did relate to it so much as a child, too. You can really put yourself kind of in these guys' shoes really, really well. I mean, even, like, the beginning, the push cart race. Like, Sanka and these kids, they're the exact same. Even though they're, like, they're like literally on year, Yeah, it's, like, a 20-year age difference. But there's, like, no telling them apart. So I think that's a lot of fun just from a character standpoint. And then John Kenny kind of comes in and he definitely is like the father figure leader of the team. Yeah. And there's a lot of moral morality stuff. And like you said, of, of course, you know, win or lose, they're just there kind of for the experience of this one. But I think that's the other kind of interesting side of this movie too is like the other bobsled, the bobsleds community kind of reaction to them. Because mm. I feel like for the for a Disney flick, they could have not have gone like, oh, everybody hates us. It could have just been like, nobody really knows why we're there and, and nobody's really making fun of us. But they kind of go like a darker route of like the East Germans are like bullying them and they get into like, you know, a bunch of fights and stuff. 
So I think that's kind of an interesting angle of it too, and, and probably more realistic than than they imagined it. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, like I don't know exactly like how they retreated. I would imagine they probably pulled some punches with like holding some stuff back because I'm sure people were a lot more racist and terrible uh, seeing these Jamaicans come and come and try and do some bobsledding in the '90s. It is interesting to see like the fish out of water nature of it. And when they travel to Canada, I think all that stuff really works well. And I don't think it goes like an extremely offensive route. I think it treats the material well and, and it treats its characters with respect, which I definitely think is a positive. I think the fish out of water is effective just because, well, they pretty much just go to the extremity of it too. Yeah. Going from Jamaica to like negative 20 in Calgary. <laughs> so that's kind of ridiculous. Of course, that's, that's going to be kind of an extended sequence of its own of just them trying to you know, figure out what's going on. Cody, I know you've uh, you've got some questions prepared. Yeah, and we, we've kind of touched on a little bit of, of uh, what I was going to go to in, in some of them already. But the first one I did want to talk more just about kind of the fish out of water concept. Like we we're saying, I think it is interesting going from the hot hots of Jamaica to the cold poles of Calgary. Mm. And uh, there's, there's one, there's a few lines I, I do really love. So I just got to shout them out. The first one being, Sanka, what you smoking, man? <laughs> I'm not smoking. I'm breathing. If if you're from anywhere cold, I think as a child that may be the funniest line I've ever heard. So shout out to that dialogue. The the main overlapping question here is kind of did you like the fish out of water story in Cool Runnings? And do you think that archetype, kind of just in I guess in Disney movies, is overused? I think a little bit. But do you think that that archetype overall is kind of something that we should stop doing so much, or do you like it? Or is it kind of just in the middle somewhere? What do you think about the fish out of water? Because I feel like we have seen it a decent amount. I, I think generally I, I do enjoy it. I think it can become very repetitive over and over, especially, like, I mean, hell, we saw Barbie to a certain extent. A movie yeah. that just came out a couple of weeks ago is like that same exact thing, you know, a character who has had no agency or a life outside of the world they know goes out to a, a brand new world and you know in that case it's the real world of LA and she's shocked and, and all that stuff so like there's there's like I feel like the commonalities that we see every time you know the same thing that people are surprised by as they see the modern world or the, the world around them but to me it's something that I think works for a reason and I'm, I'm okay with constantly going back to it as long as we can kind of see you know what the new twist on it you know Greta, what is Greta Gerwig going to put the, you know the twist on it oh it's going to be about Barbie's cool yeah. um, so you know as long as it's not like the same exact thing over and over. I, you know, movies movies are constantly using the, you know, like the same 10 story types over and over. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it is used a lot, but I think it is just like really, really effective in a lot of really good movies. A couple that just come off to my mind off the guys like The Matrix or, you know, Captain America Winter Soldier. You can kind of change any sort of movie or even in a sequel, I think, to kind of have that concept. You can do it really well. My problem is kind of just everybody does it constantly. So it's, it's either hit or miss. I would say it definitely is overused, but I think it's, when it's used very well, it can be very effective. But I feel like it is something we see a lot, especially in Disney movies like this. But I'm a fan of this movie, so I'm, I'm not going to rag on it too. <laughs> <laughs> Respect. But we can jump into the second question too, because you already brought it up. I freaking love the music. Hans mm. Zimmer is scoring this movie. Hans. Like, I don't know. That just like blows my mind. I don't think before... Well, I think maybe a, a couple of rewatches before this, I realized that. But as a kid, I, obviously, I don't know who the heck Hans Zimmer is. But nowadays, like, this is probably the best working guy in his industry. And he's the one doing the score for cool freaking runnings. So I think that in itself is really cool. But let's talk just about the soundtrack, too, because 
it has that really cool fun reggae vibe mm. at the beginning obviously just like the opening credits is a really good song so then throughout they just keep sprinkling in kind of the marley reggae so i really love that but then like you said the combination of kind of the the races and the end scene specifically the ending score i don't know why but uh it definitely oh, it definitely brings tears to my eyes every time <laughs> i'm not gonna lie on this rewatch i did cry Okay. So, <laughs> he's still got it. Hans is still that guy. But yeah, I mean, the overall question, am I crazy with like just nostalgia on the reggae music? What do you think about that? And then the Hans score, first off, obviously, did you cry? And then secondly, <laughs> do you think Hans has done anything better? Oh, wow. Okay. First of all, I did not cry. I, I okay. did find it to be a very emotional moment. Wow. I, I wrote it down in the most. I mean, even like the very first time we hear like the Hans score at the push cart race and then yeah. like, or I, like when they go to the, the real race, the foot race and they trip and it's just like the way the score changes. That's a devastating one. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really consistent and good throughout. And then like you said, the soundtrack, there's some recognizable songs that kind of feel familiar, um, but then also some cool like new reggae stuff that I had never heard before, which I think really just adds to the aesthetic and the vibe of the movie as a whole. Hans Zimmer, is this his best work? Probably not. Uh, what put up there? I mean, Inception? I like the Inception score. I think the Interstellar score maybe yeah, is his best. Um, the, pi- the Pirates theme, the Pirates of the Caribbean pure theme is like probably one of the best that he's created. I mean, even like the Lion King in the 90s. I mean, like that's the thing. You look at like his 90s Disney work, there's there's some incredible stuff in there. I mean, he's got 236 just pure composer credits. So like yeah, the man has been working for for literally. I mean, let's see, what's what's this first credit on the site? Muppet Treasure Island. Success in the Best Revenge, 1984. So he's coming up on his uh fourth decade working in the industry. That's crazy. So. He's still in high demand as well. So I think that's definitely a testament to him, but yeah, I think he really knocked it out of the park here. I mean, you, I would probably put it in my personal like, top 10, but the guy has so many kind of just stuff that he has done. It's probably hard to rank some of the stuff just because it all is probably really, really, really good. So shout out to him. And yeah, the reggae stuff, I think it's still good. Um, and it obviously just fits the tone of the movie pretty well. The opening song especially, I do like. It's like a... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but just like the opening titles of and then going through the credits in that song is like really, really nostalgic for me. Like that's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie, honestly. The opening scene with him just like running around. Yeah. Just because I've seen that the most, obviously. But it's kind of just cool for me in retrospective seeing like Hans Zimmer score <laughs> on one of my childhood movies. I think it's really cool. And it is powerful. I feel like it's a good trivia question too. You're like, who did the score of Hans? Yeah. Uh, cool running. Hans Zimmer? What the fuck? Yeah, who's going to know that other than us? So. <laughs> We should ask that on our next trivia with uh, RCR. Yeah. Because they're definitely not listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> call out. If you're listening to this, guys, uh, call me out. But I doubt we'll see it. But yeah, you want to move on to the last question? Yeah, let's hear it. What do you got? Shout out, Hans. I want this one to be focused a little bit more on the action of the film. Ooh. So there's some good sports stuff. I think, obviously, them learning to bobsled kind of at the Olympics is kind of tough. I mean, it, it's hard to, like you know, going to an Olympic event and having never, you've never been on the track. Yeah. You've never done the sport before. So I think that's kind of weird. I think like all the races and stuff, the push cart race at the top, I think is actually really well done. Uh, And obviously that's kind of the main action set piece, uh, the first act of the movie. But after that, 
I mean, I think the stunt work and, and kind of like them going down the hill is, is good. Um, the one shot of, of them not making it into the bobsled, I think is really funny as well. But then obviously, too, the main thing I want to talk about is, is the big bar fight. Mm. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts on that in general. So we've never talked about sports action, but the bar fight in particular, um, does it bring up any kind of other directors' kind of styles, any Tarantino, any McTiernan, <laughs> anything like that? Well, you know, I did think Tarantino, because there's a shot earlier in the film of John Candy's feet, yeah. a pull-up shot from the feet. So that, that was where the Tarantino vibes were coming from. Rise and shine. <laughs> it's fuck with me time. <laughs> Great fee shot. Um, I wouldn't really describe the action as extremely electric in the way it's shot or extremely athletic. I, I don't know. That was a pretty bad bar fight scene. Was it, was it, <laughs> did it feel reminiscent of somebody's work to you specifically? <laughs> uh, a little bit McTiernan, but not really. I feel like it is kind of just that cheesy action in the 80s. Well, it's kind of like, you know, okay, what are we, like halfway, three-fourths to the movie? Let's let's get a bar fight in there. Yeah. Like, we got to throw something. <laughs> of course, they make, like, the Germans the bad guy, too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then Sokka comes flying in with like, a cowboy hat and everything. So I think it's it is being like pro America even in like this Jamaican bobsled movie, which is kind of annoying. I don't know. I think it's fun, but it's definitely not necessary. Yeah, I I agree with that overall. I do want to talk about like the the way they shot the actual kart racing a little bit, and, like mm-hmm. those action scenes. Because the thing that I appreciated most about it is how like it was different every time, and it I almost got better. Like I enjoyed the races each time, each time they did a time trial, I felt like they broke out a new trip or they were trying something to just add a little bit of spice to it and make it more interesting. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. I do like most of the, like the Olympics sequences of them in the bobsled. Uh, I like the specific shot too. Like obviously they showed Derice a lot, but kind of when they go through that little tunnel with the slits and it's just like on his goggles and it's just going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's some intense stuff and they showed earlier too. Like you just have to know every turn on the track. So it's literally just all in the driver. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, I like the shots, too, of like the, their sled, which is really rickety, kind of falling apart. Yeah, it's really good. The, 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 in the final fight where it's like you see the little insert shots of the screw is kind of slowly coming loose, the bolts yeah. falling apart. Um, anything that's inside the sled when it's moving, I think, is really cool. In a different yeah. level. And they use some real-life footage. Yeah, I, I, I did see that. The, uh, which is definitely cool. And, I mean, some of that real-life stuff, too. Which Should is like, we talk about the real-life of nature of it all too right now well yeah we can just throw it all together but i thought it was interesting at the end like when they crash like a bunch of the crash footage was like real life stuff just like their heads like banging up against the side and stuff so that's tough obviously i don't think they really finished the race in the same way i would guess i don't actually know but i'm guessing there was a lot of dissimilarities with the story in real life but i i like how they at least brought in a little bit of footage like showing like that it did actually happen yeah, so I did want to talk about, I do have some information about, like, the true nature of everything, the, the real Jamaican team. So, first of all, the reason they didn't get into the competition was because they applied late to get in. So, it wasn't like okay. they were like, oh, we, we don't want you guys in. Yeah. Uh, they applied late, but then the Prince Albert of Monaco, who had previously competed as a bobsledder, mm-hmm. he, like, led a petition to reverse the decision to let them in. So, then they, they got let in. They were never really considered a medal contender. There was never any thought that maybe they could make a push in that final time trial. Yeah, um, They crashed on their third run, which was actually their second to last scheduled run. They finished 24th, 25th, and 26th out of the 26 total contestants, nice. which was not great. They finished 26th overall, so last place. And with a cumulative line of just over three minutes for the total 
Um, they would have had to complete a world record shattering time <laughs> under 48 seconds to win in their final run. Yeah. Um, so they weren't as good as, as portrayed. The movie also implies that they're the only movie, the only people from a tropical country to ever compete. And that's actually also not true. They were the only Caribbean nation to ever uh, feature in the four man, but Netherlands Antilles, and then also the U.S. Virgin Islands had sent people to the <laughs> okay. Olympics in the past. So, you know, not entirely rare for, for somebody from a sunny area. I mean, still pretty rare, though. You know, it, yeah. I mean, it, it, they weren't the first, but yeah. still a cool story nonetheless. And then the crash in the film, it's because of mechanical and structure failures. Mm. Um, in reality, it happened because of driver inexperience, yeah. going too fast, not understanding the, t the turn was too high. So that kind of changes also it's like yeah they really did crash because they just, you know they hadn't been bobsledding for very long they didn't really know um what they were doing fully so like i think that real life stuff kind of really takes away from the movie also i think the john candy character is kind of way different as well so so overall i don't yeah. know when i read that i was like this is kind of dumb and also when they did crash they didn't like pick it up and, and carry it across the line but yeah. there's applause i think there was like some scattered clapping for the people <laughs> but overall it was like yeah but, that is tough because that's probably like my favorite scene in the entire movie is the ending. So th that being one that is like very unrealistic is pretty tough. And yeah, that is kind of weird that they changed so much. I don't hate it that much. It's just less of a biopic and, and more, I guess, just a fun Jamaican movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, John Candy, I doubt any of that stuff is really true about. I don't think they would let a cheater anywhere. Well, that was it. I did, I did have questions. Like if a guy who's previously cheated, would he will be allowed to be a coach? Yeah. I feel like probably not. Yeah. The one because IOC is all over that. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not shocked they they kind of finished last. They definitely had, you know, a massive disadvantage from the start. In the in the uh, the text, the ending text, they said that they did come back uh, four years later. So possibly they didn't get that last then, but it's still highly likely. Yeah, they do. I mean, that's the thing. They now have a consistent team that I think is like you know more trained. And it's built a little bit of a culture. Really? Are they still? To, to I don't know if they still have teams. Honestly, it's kind of just impractical because you can't practice. 94, 98, 2002, and then 2014 and 22. Sure, too. I don't yeah. know why the Jamaicans love the bobsled so much. I guess it is kind of that idea of sprinters make the best bobsledders, which I don't hate. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I would guess they've never done too good. I mean, nothing against the Jamaicans. Obviously, they are unbelievable athletes, but you don't have a track to practice on in, in your home, you know, you know, your home country. So they have they've not had a lot of success yeah, historically it's just tough. they're at a disadvantage yeah. so that is interesting they keep going back this is a big question as a childhood favorite uh -huh. is this a movie you will show to your future kids i mean uh, this is not gonna be a surprising answer i don't think right? but <laughs> i would say yeah with this question too i haven't this is not something I, i've given like a crazy amount of thought to of like what movie should you show your children what movie Fair. should you not like i said in my childhood I wasn't really allowed to watch anything that wasn't like a super G rating. So that's not the best, I guess, thing to, to grade it off of. But I would say 100%. Yeah. I mean, this movie, it, the kind of, like I said, the childness of the actors, I think, would be very easy to relate to. And it does have a good message, you know, like, you know, never give up on your dreams. You know, even if something bad happens to you, kind of turn that into a positive if you can anyway. So I, I like the messaging behind it a lot, too. And I think, it, like I said, it's just a fun, a fun, you know, sports, you know, Jamaican bobsled team kind of comedy, you know, Disney sports film. So I think it's a good combination. Obviously, you got good direction, really good score. I think when I do, teach your kids about some fucking good cinema. Sure. That's what I'm saying too. Like, I don't want to show my kids like, even if they are kids movies, like, kind of just like movies I don't like or movies that are bad. 
Like I want them to be kind of, you know, movie snobs as well. <laughs> so I think this would be a good starting point. You know, probably not the best kids movie of all time, but 100% I would show this, this movie to my kids. My big thing is I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. <laughs> so it's like maybe if I'm if I am going to watch it, uh, probably with the children, a child of some sort in the future. So maybe not going to rule it out, but it's not going to be on the first on the list of like, this is what the kid has to see. When we both have kids uh, and everybody comes over. You can watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll you can watch a child everybody the... throw on a throw on a little uh, <laughs> cool running. To the background music. Yeah, exactly. You'll see it again for sure. That, that's that's not <laughs> Just not front to back is the dream, <laughs> only in pieces. All right, Cody. And then the last thing, do you think in 2023 that this movie still holds up as it did in 1993? And we touched on this a little bit. I mean, there is a little bit of ugly stuff. I don't love the way they, they handled all the Jamaican characters and especially all like East German characters and the Russians too. The Russians are kind of dicks in this movie as well. But I think just from the simplicity standpoint of a, a Disney sports film, it stands up. But there's a lot of things you can kind of point out and be like, yeah, you know, that that probably wouldn't be in the movie today or they probably should have, you know, done that in a different light. You know, personally, of course, like I said, Nostalgia Goggles, I think it does hold up. But it, it's all, this is a very subjective movie, I would think. The comedy being kind of hit or miss and then kind of a bit of the more childness factor as well to, to all the characters. I can see very easily why people wouldn't like this movie, but I think for what it is and it knows what it is, I think it's, it's pretty effective. Yeah, I don't think the comedy of, like suffers too much too much from like the '90s nature of it all. I think it suffers more just from like it being a kids movie, and that and that's the way it doesn't hold up. Not necessarily just because it was made in '93. Yeah, I but, mean, there's some weird like plot lines, threads too, where it's like Yul Brenner wants to live in uh, Buckingham Palace, and Sanka is just like he's like this 30 year old who like still reads comic books and just will never grow up. It seems so. And like the kissing booth stuff, there's a lot of weird stuff, I feel like, but I think it, from a general standpoint, story-wise, it, it, it holds up okay. I, I agree with that overall. Any final thoughts on Cool Runnings? You glad I finally got to I appreciate it. Watch it. I'm happy. It's been another one of the Star Trek situations where... <laughs> I'll finally uh, get the references. It's very yeah, true. Yeah, and I think as well, this movie is just crazy quotable. Um, so that's probably my favorite thing to do with it is just throw out random quotes. We'll, we'll keep the nostalgia goggles obviously rolling along with small soldiers, but I'm excited for some other nostalgia movies from me upcoming. Obviously, Ratatouille is yeah, an upcoming out. episode to look out for. And uh, we'll keep doing, I think these are fun episodes too, just because it's it's really differing perspectives on, on movies that one of us has seen in, you know, a billion times and the other one's watching it for the first time. So. I'm happy we finally got you on the cool ride. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad at the very least I, I did get to experience it. And, and we had to do it for the podcast because it wasn't happening otherwise. <laughs> and we know the very same is true about you watching Small Soldiers. Let's move on over to that. The reason I wanted to talk about Small Soldiers very similarly, we've referenced it many times on the podcast. It's a movie that I don't even think you were aware of until I told you about. And yeah. even then, as I would tell you more and more about it you would just become more and more confused and questioning of like what the fuck is this movie what's it really about yeah um i think i i expanded what it was about a little bit and just talking of like making shit up and like trying to just make it sound cooler than it is and i honestly hadn't seen it in probably five or six seven eight years oh, wow. so like there was a little bit of that nature even for me of like hey i really want to rewatch this movie and if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna make cody get in on it as well yeah that's fair Kind of vice versa, I like that. Uh, I'm surprised it's been that long to rewatch for you. How many times do you think you've seen this film overall? 
Well, I, it's hard. To, I mean, maybe like 15. I feel like I watched okay. it a lot as a kid. And I don't even remember exactly. Maybe we owned it or maybe would have. Because the thing is, it's like a universal movie. But for some reason, I have memories of seeing it through Disney. And I don't know if there was ever a connection. The big, I would say the biggest reason I haven't watched it is just like availability. It's not really a movie you can find anywhere. I think we both had to rent it to watch it for this. So that kind of hurts for sure. Oh, it's tough. Uh, two ninety, or I think it was uh, two seventy five for small soldiers. So rip that. But I don't know why. It seems like they're kind of trying to hide this movie a little bit. Mm. It's available obviously on Amazon, but then you have to rent it. But it's not like on Showtime or any of the other. Well, not even a. P- I mean, it's like a, a DreamWorks Universal. So like Peacock would make sense yeah. for it to come. But I mean, it would make sense literally on any streaming platform. I feel like just because like if people want to watch it, they should be able to watch it. But. Yeah, I think it's an interesting pick. When was this movie released? It had to be obviously early 2000s, I would think. 1998. Really? Okay. I think it's very of its time. These are both 90s movies, and I would say that's that's similar to uh, Cool Runnings as well. Yeah, I think this movie is very interesting. It's got a lot of kind of bigger themes for a kid's movie. So in warming up with this movie, uh-huh. I'll say one bad thing, you say one good thing. For me, I think the bad thing is that it feels very 90s. It's like a 90s studio movie where it felt like there's probably like 30 different versions of the script that exist. It kind of went through a couple different iterations. There's some like character beats that feel like maybe in another version of it, it would be more fleshed out or we would see more of that. It's like, oh, here's just that one little bit that's remaining from the first edition that didn't, you know, stick through throughout. There's like pop songs that are kind of mixed in where you can tell the studio spent a little bit of money to get the the music in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's got, you know, some messaging mixed in, but Overall, I would say the fact that it's written by like five different people (laughs) and that there's just those threads that don't really fully connect, whether it be like the love story or like him being a bad boy. I think that all kind of like harms the movie um, in creating like the cohesive final product. (laughs) I like that a lot. I think five writers is never a really good idea in a movie. And especially in a kid's movie like this, I kind of get muddled a little bit. Uh, Just talking about the positives here. This is a little bit difficult. Uh, wow, know, it's gotta you know you know, venture off into one one specific positive, but it's kind of along the same lines. Like, I think the the best parts of this movie for me is kind of the madness of it. Mm. Um, obviously, you have kind of the whole toy industry in itself is is kind of an interesting angle, and then they throw in David Cross into the fold, and I really don't think you can go wrong there. I think David Cross is by far my favorite person in this movie my favorite character in this movie and that's pretty much just because david cross to be completely honest but they do lean into the madness of you know oh what's what should we do to kind of you know promote these toys and they're literally making a movie about the toys <laughs> at the same time so it, i think that's a fun aspect of it and like you said i think if they because that's not really focused on in the movie a ton that's probably like a quarter of it so i think maybe in an in an earlier script that had you know massive bearing on the movie more. well because then like right at the end there's even not to get too far ahead to like spoiler territory but like at the end dennis literally like looks at the camera and he's like this would make a great commercial yeah. or whatever <laughs> like i think that's fun I, I think if you like similar to like you want to see more of that yeah like a last last action hero kind of idea make that the entire movie and i think i would be more on board with it but obviously they just focus more on which probably interests the kids more because this is the meta-ness, the kids are probably like, I don't really understand this, but this guy's in the chipmunks, so I like him. <laughs> but the the kids stuff is more, you know, focused on the action and then, you know, the the kids love story as well. 
which I definitely have some issues with and we'll get into. But I do like David Cross a lot. I think he was your number one underrated actor working in the industry. And I tend to agree with that. Uh, shout out to Chipmunks and, uh, of course, Tobias from Arrested Development, one of the, the great forgotten roles in, in modern television. But I just I, blew myself. I think he's <laughs> I think he he's good in this movie. He's really not too bad in anything. So shout out David Cross. Small Soldiers is an interesting one to explain. You admit that there's a little bit of the meta-ness to it. So basically the concept of the film, David Cross and Jay Moore are these two scientists who work for a toy company, they're toy designers, and their company is bought out by Dennis Leary's larger Globotech firm. Basically, he's going to come in. Their whole thing is they take military components and they put them into everyday working things to you know serve the consumer in, in, in an interesting way you know whatever so jay moore and david cross then get you know access to this military technology jay moore's character kind of you know, is an idiot and orders some super chips to put into these new toys it's micro chips, new right? yeah you know microprocessors, <laughs> microprocessors these new special microprocessors from the military and they put them into these new toys that they want to be super high tech and they can talk to you and interact and learn and essentially creates uh, a line of evil militaristic toys led yeah. by Tommy Lee Jones, and then a line of these kind of alien Gorgamite toys. Um, and they exist to kind of almost do battle with each other in their programming, specifically the militaristic toys, having, you know, an intense rage and a desire to, to kill the Gorgamites. Um, those toys then end up on a toy shelf of a, a child and his dad owns the toy store. The toy store gets destroyed because of that. And uh, then, you know, some hijinks ensue as the Toys come back to attack the house. And I mean, you left out, there's also a big romantic element. Kirsten Dunst, our, <laughs> our lead build actor of this movie. Introducing? Um, introducing. Uh, not exactly, I would say, but <laughs> our lead actress, Kirsten Dunst, is there as well to, to serve as the, the love interest who who's, plays hostage. I would say that is kind of like the majority of the story, obviously. I feel like there's a big kind of uh, focus on the love story a little bit, especially in like the second and third act. But the relationship between like the small soldiers and the aliens, I thought was was an interesting part of the plot and something they probably could have gone into more. I think it's just interesting how they have it set up of the small soldiers are like they're hundred percent the bad guys, and in a sense, I feel like they are in a, like pretty much just you know the American military. Um, so I think that's an interesting angle and something I really didn't expect from a movie called Small Soldiers. Just the small soldiers kind of just being these ruthless dicks who just want to kill people at, at all costs. So for this movie, it, it does have some darker tones as well, which I, I think is interesting. Yeah, you know, I think the the cool thing about this movie is that it's a movie about how we take um, the American military complex and package that up. We hand it off to little kids and we serve it to them in the form of toys and movies and entertainment. And literally this movie itself is again, like working in response to that. And is like that idea of like, we're going to make this movie for kids about, you know, little soldiers and, and toys, and, but we're going to Trojan horse those ideas of like, that's actually a bad thing that we're doing that, that we're like indoctrinating our, our young men and women with this idea that, you know, this is what they can grow up to be. And it's the same for the women, you know, the female characters, Kirsten Dunst has her like, Barbie dolls, pseudo Barbie dolls that kind of, you know, we see the same thing, you know, those kind of ideas play out in this movie as well. And that, you know, brings up that I think this is a really interesting movie to talk about in context of the newly released Barbie film. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's a, an extended Barbie sequence 
which is a little bit terrifying. And I feel like as a kid too, did you have any moments where like it was kind of too scary? Yeah. Too? Well, that's the other thing. I think like to a certain degree, like this movie is almost, it's definitely more adult than Cool Runnings, I would say. Oh, yeah. And I would say it's a movie that could very well be like, you could spin it as an, a purely adult movie, or at least like you could make it like a PG-13, more like tween teen film. If you add, you know, I think that's almost where it hurts it a little bit, where they pull the punches and they pull back and they have to be like, hey, this is just a kid's movie. So we're going to do a cool action scene here. Or we're going to, yeah. you know, make the toys look cool in this scene where it's like the ideas you're playing with could really expand into something more mature. That's true. And I think the way that, like I said, with just how they deal with the small soldiers, in a sense, they are kind of just like American warmongers who obviously disrespect women a lot and they go into that, which is fun. Well, and then also like, you know, because Tommy Lee Jones plays the the leader. Um, yeah. I can't remember his name, no. the colonel or whatever. But like, even throughout, like they're constantly like saying lines from movies or they're making references to like other forms of military propaganda. So it's like they're constantly talking in response to that and like playing off those yeah. ideas. I mean, they have like the Borg catchphrase too. What is it? It's not, it's not resistance, it's futile. It's, it's something else close to that. They just basically rip off Star Trek in that, in that <laughs> line, if I'm being completely honest. I don't know. I, I didn't really like that aspect of the movie a ton, the small soldiers aspect. I like kind of the weird aliens and then their relationship kind of with the little kid. I think that was probably my favorite part of just story-wise other than the meta-ness. But I think we have to talk a little bit about the Kristen, the Kristen Dunst and uh, the kid's relationship. Because that really took on a decent amount of a flick, I feel like. And Alan was, Abernathy. Alan! Alan Gregory Abernathy. Smith is the actor. Shout out Gregory Smith. Uh, I think we'll get into a little more maybe what he's doing now. I don't think it's a ton, but I didn't think he was terrible in this movie, especially for being like a lead kid. It's obviously a lot of pressure, I feel like, going into a script like this where it is kind of all over the place for him to kind of carry. I thought uh, Kirsten Dunst was actually not terrible either for, for such an early role for her. I was actually pretty impressed with just her overall chops. I mean, their love story stuff, it's, it's obviously like teenagers, so it's not something that's going to connect, you know, super heavily, but I thought it was okay. Just kind of like the writing stuff of like, Sheardy has a boyfriend. He's like this bad boy who's got kicked out of schools. It's like, I don't know. I feel like we've seen that a hundred times. And I don't Do you really buy Alan as a, as, a, as a big troublemaker, a two time expelled? I mean, I guess he's just like acting out because it, his parents are dicks, basically. Yeah. So I guess that's fair. Like, maybe I would do the same thing if, if it came to that. And he's like, he's basically running this entire toy store by himself. And how old is he? Like, 12 years old, 13. He's like, definitely in middle school and it just gets left <laughs> in the toy store over the weekend. But his dad's like, I don't trust you. Yeah. But, but you're running the entire store right. the entire week. So it is what it is. But I thought at least their acting was good enough where I was like, I don't hate this plot line entirely. And it's cool to see Kirsten Dunst in, in, a, in an early performance. I think it is cool. Definitely. Like, I don't even think I realized when I like repicked this movie. I was like, oh, yeah, Kirsten Dunst is like the lead of this film, cool. um, which I think is, is definitely cool to talk about. Let's talk about the rest of the cast. So, yeah. first of all, director Joe Dante. Are are you familiar with his his other big film? Joe Dante name sounds familiar, but I don't think so. Well, believe it or not, he's the director of Gremlins. Okay, yeah, which which there's actually even some Gizmo references yeah. used in this. I think it's the password that David Cross's character has. Um, and I think even later they like call him Gizmo, or they call the other guy Gizmo. This is like Gizmo. 15 years after Gremlins, too. But yeah, but huh. but to me, like it kind of makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that the guy who directed Gremlins, it's kind of you know, in a way, it's similar to like a toy coming to life. Then, yeah, you know, this would be the guy to hire. Honestly. Yeah, like, yeah. That's a good so, pick from the studio. And to me, like, I think he does a really good job. Something that I appreciate a lot about this movie is like, 
the CGI for it being 1998. I think all of the like toy stuff and moving around, I think it all looks really good. Like there's a couple scenes where it's like, okay, this is some early video game animation type stuff. But for the most part, they use it very well. And they're very smart about how they show it. Yeah, I actually agree with that completely too. I don't, it wasn't stop motion, was it? Was this all digitally done? I think so, yeah. That's impressive. It does look really good. I think that's something I definitely took for granted throughout the film is these, these soldiers, these toys, all these monsters, they do look very realistic, like in a real life setting as well. So like late 90s, CGI wise, I think that is actually- One third puppetry and the rest CGI. Nice, okay. So a little bit of Frank Oz action in there as well too. So I respect that a lot, but- yeah, I think direct this, this movie is honestly it's pretty well directed. I have more story issues, I think, than the directing. So shout out Joe Dante. I think Gremlins is, is a good flick and it does a lot of similar things too. So yeah, like I said, I think it makes sense to to have Joe Dante at the helm. Exactly. I mean that's it's kind of the thing we were talking about a little bit with Turtle Tab, where it's like he's the guy. You know, you're making a studio movie about that's kind of like a kid's film with some bigger ideas. Yeah. You're gonna things coming to light. Like it makes sense. Like, let's bring in Joe Dante. He might not be an Oscar-winning director, but he's a guy that knows how to handle this kind of subject. Especially, like, uh, it's just similar kind of characters. Like, it's small little puppet people. Like, that's that seems like Joe Dante's stick. So I think that's, that's an easy choice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Christian Dunst. Obviously, Spider-Man, I think, is a huge thing. And that's just, I mean, three years later that she gets cast in this. Well, is this the youngest Christian Dunst performance you've ever seen? I think it's got to be. I don't know. She's obviously, I think, a pretty well-working child. But, I mean, this is very, very young, I feel like, for her. She yeah, I mean, she, she got her first role in 1988. She's in one episode of Star Trek in 93. She appears in, like, Interview with the Vampire, Young Strong. Sis. She's, she, you know, she jumps around. Jumanji, I think, is probably the one yeah, that, that really is, like, her big break. And that's probably even why she's first build in this movie you know just three years later but i think for me this is definitely my first interaction with kirsten dunst and then spider-man i probably did see jumanji before this film fair like i said i think that is probably the one that people remember of, of her as being a really good child actor but this is a good performance too and then of course yeah going into the spider-man franchise that's kind of where she really took off and i mean since then she's pretty much fun she's been in every anything and everything so shout out to her there I do think she's a pretty good actress overall, honestly. I think she gets a little bit of hate just from the Mary Jane performance. But again, I think that's that's a lot more of writing and Toby Maguire, just the overall sappiness of, of those movies. I don't think she could really do a ton of that. She does not have a lot to work with from Sam Miami there. I searched up her Star Trek the Next Generation performance. It's actually a pretty interesting one. It's like her mother she's like a uh, she can she can like read mind and stuff. <clears throat> like her, her mom died when she was really young. So she's just going through like a lot of childhood trauma. So kind of like a more serious role in, in TV too. So that's honestly probably the first thing I ever saw. Right? So I think that a billion times. But shout out to a, a child, uh, Kirsten Dunst. I think um, her and Drew Barrymore put him in the child hall of fame. Oh, I'm down <laughs> for that. In the 90s. Alan Abernathy, our character, played yeah. by Gregory Smith. He's the guy Gregory that, that has not really been as successful. Um, he was in The Patriot. As is Thomas Martin, which I, I would imagine you see the son of, yeah, he's the yes. son of Mel Gibson in The Patriots. So okay. like that's that's kind of a big role. That's just two years later. Yeah. 
Everwood, he was on for 90 episodes from 2002 to 2006. So if, you, nice. if you've got any fans of that, you know, he was doing some TV, some Rookie Blue for two, 70 episodes. But the thing that really interested me here, yeah. Superman and Lois, he's the director of nine episodes. So he's kind of gotten a little bit uh, behind the camera. And I, cool. I, I, I haven't seen Superman and Lois, but I know Jackson's a big fan of it. So, yeah. you know, shout out to him for putting in the work there. I've heard it's not terrible. And that's really cool, actually. He's He seems like he's more of a comic book guy. So... Maybe I'll delve into kind of what else he's done television-wise because evidently that's not the worst TV show ever. And if he's a big comic guy, I feel like he might as well go that route. But that is pretty cool. I, I would never guess that. David Cross, we've kind of already talked about. You yeah. highlighted some of your performances. Yeah. Got a shout out Eternal Shot, Sunshine, Spotless Mind, Mega Mind, yeah. Kung Fu Panda. And then, of course, I mean, Men in Black, too. It's great in Men yeah. in Black. A lot of very small roles for David Cross, of course, being as underrated as he is. But I think I stand out for pretty much everything. Jay Moore, you don't really know him as much, but I mean, I feel, the thing about this movie is we get like deeper in the cast, and we can talk about like Dennis Leary and some of the more guys like Tommy yeah. Lee Jones. But like, of course, yeah. every voice actor is like a '90s '80s character actor, or, like a that guy, where it's like they they pull good, strong character actors. And like the '80s and '90s, there are so many of them that yeah. would like just travel from movie to movie and pull in fun performances. So like every voice of the Gorgonites, every military guy had probably played. A, a military guy in some movie before. So I, I think that's great about the movie. These days, we just have David Dismalshin, basically. <laughs> As the, like the, the that 80s, guy. Yeah, in the 80s and 90s, there was like 50 David Dismalshin. Yeah, we're getting like Frank Linganello playing the, yeah. you know, the main Gordonite. And, you know, it's just, it, it is cool to see. Like, you can you can go deep into some IMDBs and we honestly don't even have the time. His dad, <laughs> Kevin Dunn, you know, is, is another just like, okay, you know, maybe I don't know what he's from, but I've seen him in a thousand things. Oh, he's in Transformers as Shia LaBeouf's dad, you know, like stuff gotcha. like that. That's cool, actually. Yeah, he's not a terrible actor. Now I have some questions for you, Cody. Special questions. So first one that I want to hit you off with uh, is, is a little bit of a brain teaser. So <laughs> this movie, I mean, it's about how small soldiers, little toys, fight humans. So my question for you, Cody, in, in typical Cody versus fashions, how many toys could you take before it's too many toys? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, depends. I mean, am I am I giving weapons here? What what's available to me? Just, just the same thing. As, I mean, it's whatever's around you. Same time, thing in the movie. You know, you're in a house. So who am I? Am I Alan Abernathy? You're you. You're you. <laughs> you what? You know, ten toys. Do I have you like could take twenty toys? You could take thirty. Like when is it? Yeah. You know, it's similar to the argument of like how many preschoolers yeah. could you fight? How many little toys? Fun question. I think I could take a few. I mean, of course, it depends how you know. How much weaponry they have how many corn cob holders they can shoot at yeah. like that was a very yeah. visceral memory for me as a child like that's probably the thing that stands out the most about this movie that is corn cob to the leg very great um i mean if i have like a baton i'm just you know smacking these all Golf over club. the place yeah like give me a baseball bat give me a wiffle ball bat and, and everything's flying but i would probably put it around like 30 or 40 like these guys they are you know experienced i think generals and stuff but I'm a giant, so <laughs> it's going to take a lot to kind of take me down, I think. And there'd probably have to be some sort of element of surprise, I would think, to take me down. But I like my chances, especially if, like, the Monster Squad has one back, too. Um, if I do get in a little bit it's of trouble. reinforcement. Yeah, they can just fly in and, and kind of help out on that end. But I like my odds. Cody versus, I, I think I would win this movie. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't think that in this specific movie enough, I don't think there's enough to, to keep me down, if I'm being honest. But... I like that. Shout out Cody versus what about you? 
do you think you would win this movie? Do you, how, how many do you think you would actually take? win? May, I mean, like, you know, through the power of teamwork and the Globotech guys kind of show up at the end. Yeah. And, you know, sure, I'd make it out. I don't think 30 or 40. I think maybe like 20, 25 is around my cap. I, I don't know. They just start to overwhelm me, dude. Start cutting your Achilles tendon and, and yeah. you're done for it. Like the Barbies and stuff, too. Like, if once they were. They start them. jumping from out yeah. of, like, that's the thing. They'll, you may think they're all right there. They, they sneak around. If they get you enclosed in a smaller room, you're going to have some issues. Absolutely. It's all about spacing, I think, in this in this instance. <laughs> all right. Next question for you, Cody. Uh, Did you play with toys as a kid? Were you, like, a, a guy that... I think a little bit. That is a good question. Yeah, I think I did. I had a lot of, like, uh, like Hot Wheels cars and stuff. Were you ever, like, a military toy guy, or was it always just cars? No, I, mean, I guess much. with your mom. Yeah, it was tough with, thing. with, like, strict parents like that, too. I was more, like, the stuffed animal kid who would just collect all that. And then just have like you know random stuff like that, big parties and stuff. Build a bear guy. I had a few build bears, yeah, yeah. Big sports build a bears where you get like the football or oh, yeah. baseball one. Had a frog just to come. Yeah, and then I would do stuff with like, like I said, like big cars and just like a bunch of races or big sports stuff. Like get a bunch of baseball cards and just actual playoff games and stuff. So I had a bunch of toys and we had tons of toys as kids, but it probably wasn't as much like guns and shooting and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was more like family friendly, I would say. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. My toys were, were definitely in the family friendly area, more of like the the things I was interested in, whether it be like Star Wars or yeah. I feel like Ninja Turtles was like the big thing. But even beyond that, like I never really even played with toys that much. Like I would get toys and then I would kind of be like, what am I fucking supposed to do with this? Yeah. Like I, just, I don't know. I wasn't a super creative kid where I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. And I think maybe that's why like this movie is cool to me because it's like, oh, here are some toys that like we'll play back with you and like well you'll be able to you know you can be by yourself and still have a good time and communicate with them so like that was a really cool idea to me um whereas as someone who like didn't really play with toys yeah. that way it's like the dog who like does backflips and, and you just like <laughs> sit there and watch it like it's kind of entertaining in, in itself you don't do anything with it yeah but i do like that concept of if there was like you know small soldiers like this I would probably buy them just because, like, you can just sit there and kind of watch them do their thing. You don't actually have to play with them, which is definitely an advantage. Yeah, and it's not violence, Cody. It's action. True. Also, I mean, did you have any, like, Nerf guns or anything growing up? Like, No, no. Really? No Nerf we guns. We had a little bit of that, but... My mom was, like, for... My dad had... This was my brother and sister, but my dad had to, like, be like, hey, it's okay if they have lightsabers. <laughs> it's going to be all right. They're not going to break into the lightsaber cabinet and yeah. cut somebody's arm off. We, we sound like we have similar uh, moms, honestly. But shout out to the moms. <laughs> shout out Amy. So, shout out Michelle. Yeah. You know, Maybe less than five. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, toys... It, it was definitely nervous, I think, for me as well, but... I wish I had more niche to real stuff like you, but that'd be dope. A little Krang? Do you have a little Krang? Uh, I, I had to... And the thing I liked, uh, we watched the uh, Michael Bay t- the Turtle movies this week. <laughs> and in the second one, the like big bus that they have that like shoots the fucking oh, yeah. things. I had that. So like that was like a cool thing to see in the movie. Also, like the, the early toys for me were Rescue Rangers, which is probably like the closest thing to this. That was more of like firefighters and police officers and like yeah. that kind of world as opposed to like military. Yeah. Which was more. Yeah, that too. What was that shit called, dude? Is that what it was called? You're opening my childhood memory. <laughs> Cody's being. We, had, we did have some flashbacks. Toys, I guess. So we had like we had like this castle thing with a bunch of like knights and stuff, and then these other like hero people. 
I don't remember what they were called. They were called something similar. There was, a, like, there was a movie about it too, and it was like they literally just rescue people. Well, I think there is a rescue. It's like rescue. It's like, rescue it was like all heroes heroes or something. Rescue heroes. Yeah, that is what it's called. Okay, so we had a bunch of those too, and that was just like, yeah, I've seen that movie probably a hundred times. Oh yeah, but it was just like firefighters. Watch and, Freon. Maybe that'll be the next uh, shit swap. We'll, dude, we'll bring I, somebody else. I in. have not thought about that movie probably in like twenty <laughs> years. So shout out to it. I had like the sledgehammer guy who's a badass. There's like this underwater guy. Yeah, that could be next on the, the Cap Childhood Classics. Yeah, my, my mom had a daycare for a while, so we had a lot more toys. Like, we had a big collection of those, but I didn't necessarily always play with them, especially in, like, Apple Yeah. Uh, playing by yourself is never fun. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> still, still true. Small in, soldiers need that. Still true in, in today's age, yeah. <laughs> my last question for you, Terry. Uh-huh. Which character would you say you related to the most in this movie? <laughs> Um, from a, from a, my childhood experience, just, uh, just, just as a person, who, I think in who would you play in the movie? Okay, I think uh, watching it as an adult now, I would probably say one of the writer characters, like either David Cross. I think or you're Jay Moore. Jay Moore. I think you're the guy who I feel like gets yeah. in trouble ordering <laughs> bad chips with the rock pass. That's the thing. Like, I want to be David Cross, but I feel like I would lean a little bit more <laughs> towards the Jay Moore. Just because he's like, too, like, I don't really care. Like, let's just make this. And just because I think it'll be successful. Like, I'm not the ultra creative one where I'm like, oh, let's do these monsters because, you know, I want to teach kids about like environmental and stuff. I'll be like, no, nah, I think like the soldiers are probably make a lot more money. <laughs> so, so let's go that route. But yeah, I like Jay Moore. Jay Moore's character is a lot of fun in this, too. Like, he is probably not the best guy, but he's still having a lot of fun, I think, throughout the movie. So I, I would probably say this character. I think I'm, uh, I'm one of the dads. I think I'm the dad who's probably the, the dick dad that's like cutting down the tree. <laughs> really? That's me. I'll be Kirsten Dunst. I think you're more of the Alan Averdad. More, more Kevin. Maybe I'm a mix. I don't know. I don't know if I leave the kid with the fucking store. That's uh, that's messed up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'll take the uh, I'll take either dad. I'll, I'll just want to be a good father to my children. <laughs> I put you in the nicer dad, I guess. Thank you. But I feel like I don't know why, but you really remind me of the main kid, <laughs> Alan. bad boy. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a rebel. What can I say? <laughs> Big question here: Would you show this movie to your future kids? As a dad, I think yeah. this is definitely one I'm gonna have to break out to the kids. I do think it's a little bit of a older movie for the children, though. Uh-huh. I I would say yeah, it depends on the age range. I would say after like I don't even know, like ten, mm. I would say sure. But early on, I'd probably say fuck now. Um, <laughs> I don't know this movie. It's kind of. I just mid. don't think you'd really appreciate it the same way. I yeah, think you've got to have. I think there's definitely a sweet spot though of like seeing it where it's like it'll really hit just right when you can kind of start mm-hmm. to understand it, but it's still kid enough for you. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think nostalgia has a lot to do with it as well. So if I showed my kids to it early, they would probably love it as well. That's always the thing about like I guess showing little kids movies is obviously you might not connect to it, but they probably will because it's made directly for them. So. Yeah, kids' movie. I think I'd show it to them eventually. Just maybe take a little bit of time. Do you think it still holds up in twenty twenty three? I mean, in some parts, yes, in some parts, no. Like I said, I, I think the look of it, the visual style, holds up pretty well, and the acting's like not bad, surprisingly for for a kids' nineties movie. But thematically, I, I don't love a lot of the stuff, and I genuinely don't even think it would, it would be made today, um, just because it is kind of talking shit about the American military a lot, which which people don't don't usually love. So it'd probably get like a lot of cancellation hate just from, uh, you know, a certain side politically, but I don't know. I think um, 
like I said, in some parts, yeah, but in some parts, definitely no, it doesn't hold up. Yeah, well, the thing is, I think it's like, in some ways, some of the ideas it's touching on have almost become so obvious to like mainstream audiences now. And it's also like, I don't know, the way we've progressed, we've kind of just like continued to sell military to kids and kind of just decided that like, it's okay. And that's the way it's going to be, yeah. whether it be through like video. And I'm not, you know, one way or another, whatever, but like Marvel movies, like those are still fucking military propaganda that every kid like experiences. So like oh, yeah. it's become so mainstream. I think that those ideas are still relevant. I just think you would maybe even have to present it in a different way because this is almost just like, yeah, we get it, obviously. Yeah. Like I said, I think you could lean into one way. I think this is... I think this movie's really smart for the time it came out. Yeah, I think it's ripe for a remake, if I'm being honest, too, because you could do the CGI even better, just go full CGI without the puppets and make it look really good. And then if you just lean a little bit more into the meta-ness and, and kind of get away from kind of the kids' love story, I think, like, a remake of this would actually be not terrible. So I would check that out. If you wanted to see a remake or a sequel beyond the the remake you just pitched to one of these two movies which would it be and what would your pitch be i think for me i would probably rather see a pitch to small soldiers honestly just because like sequel or reboot wise i don't really see that happening for cool running what's the story we yeah. need the story maybe 2026 jamaican boblet swing wins and they're coached by <laughs> Doris or something like i don't know that would kind of be cool but i feel like it's not really necessary or something that i even really want to see if i'm being honest i think maybe a straight up reboot would be fun but it's gonna have the same story beats so for me it's one of those things like we probably don't need it because this yeah, this is a good version yeah and and for me i pr i pretty much just wanted to look at small soldiers from a different angle too so possibly change up the tonality of it a lot and it, i guess it's, it's more of a reboot than a sequel I'm keeping pretty much all the cast, and I do want to do it in the modern age here. So Kirsten Dunst is back. Uh, Gregory Smith, the kid who does nothing, is back. Of course, David Cross is back, too. But we're actually, Tommy Lee Jones and all the voice actors are, like, coming to life. Ooh. So basically, there's a big transformation thing. And I was thinking of having just, like, Rick Moranis or somebody in it, kind of like a throwback to the 80s and 90s, and just have him be, like, this weird scientist, scientist yeah. Yeah, who kind of figures it out. Just kind of bring him back into Hollywood as well. But the overall plot would, would basically just be kind of like a Terminator movie. Like these small soldiers are just taking everybody out. And then obviously Kirsten Dunst and Gregory Smith, they get word that they come back. And they're like, oh, we can probably, you know, help stop these guys. And then they go get David Cross and, and it's hijinks from there. But I think that'd be fun. You know, a, a bit of a legacy sequel in a sense, but kind of just upping the action and, and using a lot of the kids. Kind of, I, want it, I want it to be made when you saw this as kids originally in the 90s too. So kind of in that legacy sequel sense, this isn't going to bring kids. back all the stuff. Yeah, like this is not a kid's movie. It's, it's going for the people who saw us as a kid in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're adults now, so time to, yeah. time to make it for the Time adults. to see some bloody action, maybe. <laughs> not violence, action. Important to remember. Yeah, same way. <laughs> for me, I think it's also Small Soldiers, and I want to see... Gorgonites, direct sequel. They're living in the woods. They found their home. Um, they've learned how to procreate a la Jurassic Park. You know, they, they figured it out. Life <laughs> finds a way, some might even say. Uh -huh. And the US military is like, oh shit, they're making chips for us. They're, they're birthing, they're procreating chips. So we want to go in there and get these chips 
they burn the, their hometown down a la Avatar. <laughs> they burn down the forest and they're hunting them down. You know, Alan has to come back to kind of find him a new place to live or whatever. <laughs> it's getting dark in the sequel. Hey, you it's, know, it's kind of like a like you said, the it's movie. Same thing as you, you know, the adults, you know, we've grown yeah. up, we're ready for the, the adult sequel, the small ones. Is yours, by the way, is yours called Big Soldiers? Big Soldiers, it is called Big okay, Soldiers. I just yeah. wanted to make sure. Was, well, I was going for a colon too, so I want to go Small Soldiers 2, colon, Big Soldiers. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. <laughs> Mine is like Small Soldiers in the Woods or something. <laughs> it sounds like you're pitching like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or something. Small soldiers. Dawn of the Planet of the Small Soldiers. <laughs> That's not bad, actually. Or Planet of the Gorgonites, maybe. Oh. Who knows? Is a uh, is everybody coming back to that though? Is Kirsten Dunst coming? I back I know I don't think we see Kirsten Dunst. I, wow. I hate to see it. I Sad. don't think she really. I think she. I'm gonna be honest. Her and Alan are not meant to be. Probably they're, not. They're not long term. But they got to get reconnected at some point in their life. You know? True. Maybe maybe that is what this one's all about. <laughs> she. Uh, I think if anything, she's married. She comes back. She's got a, a yeah. new husband. Well, the the stop her in the past. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> which two actors from these films would you want to see swap roles yeah this was a tough one i think too oh i have two answers actually okay so my first one uh i'm replacing the main kid in small soldiers gregory whatever his name was so i think he's okay but i think this movie would be a lot more interesting small soldiers would if so in cool runnings at the push cart scene it's sanka and like all his boys I want the one kid who replaced uh, Greg in Small Soldiers to be the kid who's in the front of the pushcart driver. Mm. And when they crash, he gets off and he goes, and then he goes, Sanka. <laughs> like, that's great acting, I think. So that kid needs He's got chops. Role. He does have chops. I, that was literally in my notes. I think from that, that one specific scene, I, I saw that he's got some chops. And yeah, I think putting him in a bigger role would be fun. There's kind of the weird thing of, is he going to do the Jamaican accent? Is he not going to do the Jamaican accent? I'm gonna leave that up to him because I, I think either way it, it'd still be fun. Obviously, if you if you can do a normal American accent, go for it. But probably not. So just keep the Jamaicans in, and, and it you can just like write it in pretty yeah. easily. Like, oh, you know, he he moved from Jamaica. Like, five father years ago, moved right? here to start a yeah. toy store. It's easy. So I think that'd be fun. Um, and then Greg in that role, I think it'd be okay. Obviously, you just gotta kiss some lucky eggs, and he would probably have to do the fake Jamaican accent, or it wouldn't make too much sense. I guess not really. There's definitely American white boy on the island. Yeah, there's American. You could just throw in a white boy joke, yeah. and that'd be just as good. So I like that swap. My other one that I'll just throw it out there as well. I wanted to replace Tommy Lee Jones in Cool Runnings, basically, because yeah. I think he's a little bit kind of just underutilized in Small Soldiers. I mean, it's Tommy freaking Lee Jones, and he's just in kind of this tiny voice actor. Well, this is perfect. You just got to go to a booth and, and spit some lines. <laughs> I mean, he definitely was happy with it. He probably made just some money too, but. I'm going to replace him with uh, Raymond J. Barry, who I'm guessing you have no idea who that is. That is Kurt in Cool Runnings. He was um, John Candy's former coach, mm, who that guy just is. really hates him. So I think Tommy Lee Jones in that role of just like this extreme asshole, and he had, he's more intimidating, I think, than uh, Raymond J. Barry. So I would love to see Tommy Lee Jones. Honestly, this is just like a fan casting of Cool Runnings of how can I make this movie a little better? And I think that would You put Tommy Lee Jones in, it definitely makes it better. Oh, yeah. Put him in, like, the villain role a little bit. That's going to be, you know, a knockout. Um, and, yeah, Raymond J. Berry in, in uh, Small Soldiers, I mean, does not do much. He's got to yell out, like, military words and, and sound tough. So I think he's good. Yeah. 
He, you know, he's in Born on the Fourth of July. He probably played. So there you go. Know, he's got military experience through films. <laughs> My pick is a Tommy Lee Jones, but I'm going full. Let's do it. Let's swap Tommy Lee Jones, John Candy. Uh, let's just go for it. Um, I, 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 I think Tommy Lee Jones in the candy role works better. It's not really funny, but I think he yeah. can play more of the straight comedy of like, these guys are just kind of like pissing me off. And yeah. I, like that's what's <laughs> funny about it the whole time. Um, and then, you know, the moments when he shows a little bit of emotion, I feel like make it more special because like John Candy to a certain extent just feels so lovable yeah. already. Like you don't want to hate him. Just Whereas like Tommy Lee Jones, I think you could hate him a little bit. You'd be like, okay, yeah, this guy cheated. John Candy is the military leader in Small Soldiers. Maybe that doesn't work as well. But again, he's just doing a voice. Yeah. So, you know, John Candy can act. And I think it's really just doing like an impression. Yeah. Like you're doing an impression of like a stereotypical military leader. And I think John Candy can pull that off just as well. I think you definitely could. I do like that swap too. It's something I considered. I think Tommy Lee, it would just change the tonality of the movie a little bit. But that's kind of where the character started off anyways. I'm just like, these people are pissing me off. I don't want to be involved. And then he does go towards he more, warms up. more of the soft John Candy side. Yeah. But if it was just a straight, like mean Tommy Lee Jones the entire time, I think that would be a little bit more fun just because everyone else would be having a lot of fun around him and he'd be like, I hate my life. So, <laughs> yeah. so I think that'd be interesting. I don't, I don't hate it. <laughs> What's another childhood classic film if we were going to do the uh, the movie swap in the future? Is there yeah. anything that... This this really opened up Pandora's box for me as well, just trying to remember all the movies that I've watched consistently. But I did have a few... The big one for me, I don't know why, but this is probably one of the movies I've seen the most, is uh, Cheaper by the Dozen 2, the sequel. The first one is actually a pretty good family movie, I think. The second one, they just go to a lake house and they basically just beef with uh, Eugene Levy's family who also has like 10 kids. It's pretty bad, but it's got some okay music. And um, I don't know, I just watched that movie a lot because it was available to me. I always like, in my head, I blur together like Cheaper by the Dozen, and then there's like an Eddie Murphy one. And then there's like RV gets thrown in. Like all those movies just like feel the same to me. Yeah. I don't think I've seen Cheaper by the Dozen too. Yeah, probably not. I don't think anybody really did. I think it bombed uh, horrifically. But the first Cheaper by the Dozen, I think is actually not bad. There's probably a bunch of stuff that doesn't hold up great, like Ashton Kutcher's character and um, uh, Tom Wellington, whatever his name is, uh, mm-hmm. Superman's character. There's probably some bad stuff in there, but I think that actually is. that. That's another movie that does make me cry, I'm not going to lie. There's some good stuff in that. But you probably doesn't too. Yeah, just just bad sequel and definitely no emotional moments. It's, it's, it's going for a straight-up family comedy. Some other random ones I, I'll go through here quick too. Uh, some other sports one, The Rookie, which I've talked about before in our baseball draft. I love that movie. Uh, Everyone's Hero, which also came up in the baseball draft. And I haven't seen it. No one's seen that. <laughs> uh, Christopher Reeves directed, so shout out there. Also good voice casting. And then I've talked about The Parent Trap before, obviously, on the podcast, too. Great family flick. And then The Lion The King. original or the, the reboot? Uh, the reboot. Yeah, the Dennis Quaid reboot with uh, Lindsay Lohan. Just really good. I don't know if I've ever seen the original, actually. It's probably better. But... Lindsay Lohan as a twin, I think, is is done pretty much perfectly. So I love that movie. And then lastly, uh, Lion King one and a half. Mm. That was another one I've, I've probably seen about as many times as Cool Runnings. I think those three were all on the line in the movie block. Two by a dozen two, Cool Runnings, and Lion King one and a half. Those three would probably just kind of solidify my childhood. So shout out to those. But yeah, there's probably, and like I said, I mean, there's more coming up even as we're talking about it here. So I think there's a lot of stuff lost in the memory, but um, 
I think those those two would be fun ones to do on a on another pod similar to this. Here's a here's a couple I wrote down. Uh anything Wallace and Gromit, but particularly the nice. Curse of the Were Rabbit. That's a like really good movie. There was a yeah, I, I mean Oscar nominated film yeah. for I don't know what it is. It's just like Wallace and Gromit was one that kind of would pop up for me. Um this is a little bit of an older one, Big Fat Liar. Or like yeah. a little bit older than each one. I'm sure you've seen that, but uh, Frankie Muniz, Amanda Bynes, and uh, Alternati. Just, just I, I love that. That's like so rewatchable. I think we'll definitely do it on the podcast. Yeah. Maybe just as a regular episode sometime. That'd be good. One. Um, the animated film Robots. Do you ever watch that yeah. one, Cody? Yeah, that one's completely forgotten. I think to time, but there was like a robots video game that I would play sometimes. <laughs> and then the last one, The Little Vampire. Are you uh, familiar with the little vampire? I think it's the first one. I've it's about uh, a little redheaded vampire kid. <laughs> well, there's like a real vampire, and then there's a little kid who wants to become a vampire. It's another Disney movie that they would play. Um, definitely a classic. That might be the pick for wow. the swap next. Yeah, I like that. A uh, little ginger vampire. Shout out to him. He's probably going through. Oh shit! He's probably going through some hard times. So that'd be a fun episode. Two thousands. Very up the little vampire. Let's move on to the three movie mini draft. Well, it is draft day. This week we're doing movies that are rated G, which uh, it's funny because neither of the movies, Cool Running Door, Small Soldiers is rated G. I think they're, they're both PG. Yeah. But as this is a childhood movie swap episode, we wanted to draft movies appropriate for all audiences. True. All ages. So uh, I think you picked first last week, so I, I get first pick. Did I always? Well, I'm going to go for uh, an all-time classic in my heart. And I know it's not a movie you're going to take, so maybe it's a bad number one overall okay. pick, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Planet of the Apes, the original, 1960. That's rated G. Rated G. That's the beauty of the, the 60s, where like if it wasn't a terrible movie and rated R, it was probably rated G. <laughs> Which is, I don't know if that's a good thing or Maybe bad. cheating the system a little bit here. Yeah. Charlton Heston. That was not on my radar. I do like that movie. I probably wouldn't have picked it regardless if it was on my radar, but very good twist. Gotta respect it. Good Charlton Heston. Yeah. I do respect it. Interesting first pick though. For myself, uh, I definitely know what I'm going to pick and I'm not too worried about you stealing a couple of these. So first off, I'm just going to go with the classic and go with Lion King. Mm. Um, I mean, for me, this is probably the best animated movie of all time, in my opinion, or it's got to be, you know, or at least, you know, kind of Disney animation, that style, uh, just like kids, kids animation. I mean, the soundtrack's ridiculous, just a classic story. Voice acting is amazing. Shout out James Earl Jones. And yeah, like I said, the music is it's just unbelievable. And I think it's a, a crazy rewatchable movie. And like I said, probably just one of the best animated movies of all time. So I'm definitely probably going to be sticking along the animation train here a little bit. But I think The Lion King is an easy first pick, right? Yeah. I mean, Lion King's a classic. I'll, I'll follow you up with a little bit of an animation. Um, and I'm going to go for Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Just a, a musical work of art. And uh, of course, I don't know. I think of the 90s, like princess Disney movies, probably my my favorite. I'm not big like Little Mermaid, and especially if you get older, like Cinderella. That, that stuff doesn't really appeal to me. I think Beauty and the Beast is, is the more interesting story. I agree. I think out of the Disney princess movies, it's probably the best. Shout out Cogsworth and, and Lumiere. Oh, yeah. That definitely was <laughs> And Chip, yeah. That was not on my radar either, but I do like the movie. Uh, best Picture nomination, I believe. So shout out. My second pick, I'm going to go it's tough. I think I'm just going to go Wally. Ooh. Um, Pixar wise, I think it's up there with my favorites. Obviously, there's a lot of really good Pixar movies. But just, it's, it's a different kind of Pixar movie, I think. And 
obviously like it's tonality it's it's really touching on a, an important subject i think going about it in a different way and the fact that like the first half hour there's like no dialogue but you connect so much with this robot character throughout that time i think it's really interesting just how they set up the movie obviously once he goes into space and you get to like you know the overweight humans and stuff i think it slows down a little bit but his like relationship with eve um really does carry the story and it's just like such a likable character and i think it's also visually probably one of the the most beautiful anime movies so that, that's got to make my best here yeah uh well wally is able to accomplish in in such a short period of time is, is truly amazing like you said it being a, a silent film essentially i think it's the only pixar movie to be like selected for the criterion collection uh, yeah. definitely a, a great pick there probably yeah. my favorite for last me, pick, right? last pick here. Um, I could go another animated movie, but I'm going to go another just classic film uh, uh, with a G rating, and that's going to be The Wizard of Oz. Wow, greatest one of the greatest musicals of all time, groundbreaking in the way that it used color and black and white photography, story, um, incredible costume design. You know, some problematic, for sure, but uh, a movie that I do really think still holds up today. Uh, I saw it in theaters a couple months ago, and it, huh. it's really incredible. Yeah. Judy Garland. Good stuff. I do like the movie a lot. That was hovering right on my third pick. So I might have taken that, honestly. It was, it was in between that and what obviously I'm going to take now. But I love that movie. Like you said, it's it's just an all-time classic. Uh, shout out to Ruby Red Slippers. Uh, just a lot of fun side characters, too. It's, there's a lot of weird stuff in it, but I think historically one of, one of the better main movies of all time. Wizard of Oz was probably not going to be my pick here. Probably my first honorable mention. I mean, I, I gotta go Ratatouille. I mean, how could it not? Um, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about this movie a bunch more, but Pat Oswald, perfect casting, I think, as as Remy. It's just a really, really unexpectedly like great family movie. I feel like, mm. like I don't like when I went into watching the first time. It's like, oh, it's about a rat who cooks. Like that's pretty dumb. <laughs> but like the characters agreed, you really relate to them, and you really do like get invested with just this rat's family dynamic and then it's kind of just like um, a classic story too of like a character leaving their home because they think they can do better and then they go off and, and achieve their their dreams but their family doesn't understand because it's just an entirely completely kind of source of life I, it's like a really deep story just about a rat cooking and he's a hell of a chef and all the human characters a lot of fun too obviously you have Link Queenie who is kind of the, the other main character but like the villains of like chef skinner is a real dick and i just like how they can cross that too like rats and humans are pretty much like connecting and, and have like rivalries yeah movie, which i think is really fun but yeah just i think uh the surprise factor and just the overall writing of this movie is, is really really good yeah definitely shout out ratatouille, shout out ratatouille. Episode <laughs> uh toy story was on was like Either Toy Story 1 or 2 would be like the next thing that I would probably pick. Yeah. And then also 2001 A Space Odyssey, another underrated G rated film. No, I didn't know it was rated. That's a dark G movie. <laughs> yeah, just, I was going to go for it for three, but it felt against the spirit of what we were doing. Shout out Hal. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that one. Well, yeah, the, literally the next time I was for Wizard of Oz and then Toy Story 2. I think Toy Story 2 is, is my favorite Toy Story movie, really enough. So <laughs> I like that one a lot. Last category here weekly watches. Karen, honey? Uh, what do you watch? Uh, beyond the stuff we watched this weekend, yeah. Cody. Anything uh, you've been into recently? I've been to a little bit of stuff. So, I mean, like it's you mentioned. It's been a while since we recorded. It has. And um, I really haven't been to too much, to be honest. But I did watch the two 
newly original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ones, the Michael, Michael Bay Bay's. produced ones. Yeah, Fox. And I'd never seen them. Um, so it was an interesting experience. Pretty much they're both just garbage, I would say. I hate them. The first one is very bad. Um, I, I don't know why Megan Fox is like April Neal. So it's not a great one. It's pretty bad casting. It's Every, a Michael Bay pick, I think. Yeah, and then the Turtles, I think the look is is maybe overhated, but it's obviously not good. Um, I'd agree with that. But just like their character development, I, I really hate. Michelangelo is just like the most annoying, horny turtle I've ever seen in my life. Leonardo's not even there. Like, I don't even, I can't tell you one thing he does in any of these movies. And then Raphael's just like this tank who just hates everybody. And Donatello's just a nerd. So, I mean, yeah, like it's the things, like those are the archetypes of the turtles, obviously, but like but they, they, they focus on the one thing and they yeah. don't expand it beyond anything else, which I think in other other iterations, they do a much better job. Yeah, they, they literally don't do anything. That's no. that's just who they are. So. Yeah, they're one note. Character. Pretty bad. Also, this like CGI splinter is actually pretty bad, I think. Yeah. Too much product placement, just too much like a Transformers movie, I think. So, yeah. Oh, and also William Fickner in the first one. Uh, just the reshoots and the recast of him as Splinter, I think it's really funny in hindsight, so shout out to him. Well, and, the, and, and the worst part is like that this is a Michael Bay movie, but it's not even directed by Michael Bay, so you don't even get like the actual <laughs> quality. Like at least we can make jokes about Michael Bay all we want. The man knows how to make a movie, right? Like, he's a, he's a talented does. technical filmmaker, and yeah. this lacks that part of it. I guess, but the first one's bad. The second one, I slightly didn't. better. Yeah, it's it's definitely better, but it's, I still don't like it at all. At least more faithful to what Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it, it is definitely a lot more faithful. I think the the thing I really hate about it is Stephen uh, Stephen Amell. Yeah, as Casey Jones, I think it's just scab himself. God awful. And yeah, personally, I don't really like him either. But uh, just leaving that aside, I think he's just really really bad in this movie. So tough look there. Past that, uh, the only other thing really I have been into a little bit, I started watching Andor, which is obviously the uh, the Star Wars Rogue One spinoff of Cassian Andor. Uh, it's like a 12 episode, uh, just one mini series, I believe. I think they're doing another season of it though. So that's cool. Yeah, two seasons. Okay. Strike, it's gonna be a while, but. Yeah, probably. But I watched like the first five episodes. It's, it's only like a half hour variation. So I kind of just went through a bunch of them, get all the setup. It's not bad so far. It's kind of slow for for half hour episodes. I feel like you could have probably just you know contained um, you know two episodes at a time and probably like slash ten minutes for both. So it's really not too long, and just have like six or seven episodes for the entire season. Basically, I mean it. Everything that I've seen is mostly just set up of you know where did this guy come from? How did he get kind of connected to the rebellion in a sense? And then the next thing that they're going on is like this big rebellious mission which is kind of like a suicide run in the sun so i think the action will definitely pick up just kind of the the world building of of some of the empire characters too has been pretty good so i'm excited excited to see where that goes but i've heard good things so i think as the series goes along here uh, i'll probably get deeper and deeper into it but i'm excited i think it's a it's a good setup kind of just a little bit long to, to get where i'm at to be honest as a star wars fan i, I need to do my due diligence and, and get back on and, and give it a shot yeah i mean I, i've I've been behind on, I still haven't finished Mandalorian uh, season three. So I've been pretty far behind on my, and I mean, Disney Plus wise, there's like a new MCU project every week that I have to, you know, keep up with. So it's hard to keep track of all that, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even, I think you've talked about, I'm not getting the secret invasion thing. It's not yeah. going to happen. No, and, and like I said in our last episode, I wouldn't recommend anybody to watch that. Maybe watch the pilot and then literally just don't watch anything after that. 
because there's there's an important well i mean i guess i don't know there's a lot of important deaths i guess but not really everybody just dies but yeah no i definitely would recommend that but andor not bad so far i'll rip through a couple things that i've watched uh, since our last recording um cape fear is an interesting one that's a uh martin scorsese 90s movie with robert de niro um basically playing like maybe his most insane character ever which is kind of crazy he plays a character named max katie who's basically like a serial rapist and murderer mm. um, he's got some sure. crazy tattoos and he's just terrorizing nick nolte's family because nick nolte plays this lawyer that didn't help him get out of jail like 10 years ago now that he's finally out on parole He's gonna come and you know mess yeah. with Nick Nolte's family. That sounds pretty good. Um, it's probably like Scorsese's most um, commercial like movie, like purely just like a '90s like genre movie. Hmm. But it was interesting. It still had a little bit of the Scorseseisms and, and a really strong performance from his hero and an absolutely vile, vile. Nice. I might check it out. That premise. I know Cape Fear. Uh, a lot of people were comparing Creed Three and the kind of that like you know, old friend from prison shows up and is kind of fucking with you a little mm. bit. Similar things. Jonathan Major's uh, character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, gotcha. it's a similar idea. Um, on top of that, I saw the new Mission Impossible movie, which I really thought was not oh, great. Yeah. Obviously, really? there's some good action scenes in it, but, you know, they said, you know, we're going to do the stunts and then we're going to figure out the script around it, and you can definitely tell that they did <laughs> that. Um, the villain of this movie is artificial intelligence, and, like, the ideas they play with that are actually pretty interesting, especially in the context of, like, strikes and the way actors are approaching artificial intelligence you know in their work yeah it's cool to see that play out um in a movie in this way especially in 2023 sure we've seen it in terminator and you know countless 90s and 2000s films but now as we you know understand what ai will be seeing you know that approach to it was pretty cool but the human characters the human villains uh plump minty and and the other ones just didn't have a lot to do because <laughs> ai is the real thing yeah I like Pom too. That sucks. That she kind of got. She like, doesn't get to speak until the last like really? minutes of the movie, which That's I really hate. Yeah. I saw people praising her performance, but it's like she doesn't. Even get, she does. You know, she does some action stuff. She gets to fight. Yeah. But I right, come on, give her some guys. That's disappointing. Come on, McCory. <laughs> um, I also watched the original Wicker Man, which is just like an absolutely sick um, <laughs> old horror movie. If you like Midsommar, you definitely like this. It's like a musical version of Midsommar. I also saw Talk to Me, which is a new horror movie. Definitely go check that out if you like new horror. Yeah. Um, also written and directed by some guys that got their start making like YouTube shorts and YouTube like short films. Nice. Um, so it's cool to see people make that jump into real movies. Yeah, I've heard good things about that. I told you about personally in our in our conversations about seeing the Black Dahlia in 30 Days of Night, two Josh Hartnett movies. I guess <laughs> post Oppenheimer, I was really you know feeling the Hartnett hive. Yeah. Um, Black Dahlia, terrible film. Aaron Eckhart, fuck you, you're terrible. Um, <laughs> And 30 Days a Night, you know, it's an interesting concept with maybe not the most uh, successful execution. There that? needs to be like a Black Dahlia video essay <laughs> created by you. <laughs> Where I just explain what happens for 20 minutes. That could be an episode down minutes. the line, too. It's, it's, it's crazy. The Black story. Dahlia breakdown. <laughs> um, yeah. Brian De Palma, shout out. That, uh, that's really all I've got, though. Um, so thank you guys for listening to this uh, childhood movie swap. Cody, it's great to do an episode in person again. Yeah, love the uh, in-person episodes. Yeah, hopefully it's it's a little bit less time in between uh, in-person episodes. Because I do like these a lot more, obviously. I think it's it's a lot easier. But, you know, Cap's here to stay. I think we'll get a couple more here. Uh, a lot quicker than, than the uh, the gap we had before. So always a good time. And look forward to our next episode uh, where we uh, journey through the streets of New York to discuss movies. <laughs> True. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, it's definitely uh, 
Stay tuned. It's the gap. Peace. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.